Before we get to this week's episode, I want to remind you about Digiday Plus. This is our membership program. If you want to read unlimited articles on Digiday.com, and I hope you do, um, then you will need to become a member of Digiday Plus. This is our membership program. Uh, so to get you over the line, we have a special uh intro offer that is going to be expiring very soon. And basically, you can try out Digiday Plus for three months for a mere $49. Um, go to digiday.com slash subscribe and enter the code intro at checkout. That is I-N-T-R-O. And you will get to try Digiday Plus, And I hope you enjoy it. The Mueller Report is a gift that keeps on giving to Newsroom. For the Daily Beast, the investigation into President Trump's ties with Russia has been an opportunity to punch above its weight as a mid-sized publisher. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. On this week's episode, I speak to Noah Shackman, the editor-in-chief of the Daily Beast. Noah and I talk about how the Beast covers the Trump era, what it means to be a scoops-driven newsroom when you're competing with giant news orgs like the New York Times and the Washington Post, and much more. Of course, I also ask him about how his work changes when newsrooms pivot to focus on direct revenue. Noah, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So you're just back from the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I am. And how has it changed over the years? It's in a bit of a weird period right now with, with Trump. Yeah, yeah. This year was definitely super weird. Um, the the historian Ron Chernow uh did a nice job with his assignment. A little different than the previous yeah, year's entertainment. But um, for me, I'm like, uh, my appetite for raunchy comedy is pretty much unlimited. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, and my uh, appetite for historians uh, pontificating about how awesome the press is, is pretty limited. <laughs> okay. But how about the overall vibe, though? Yeah. So, I mean, the overall- I mean, This is always a kind of a strange tradition, anyway. It's totally strange. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's like, just because I grew up in- you know, in the village and, you know, at CBGBs and stuff like that. But I'm always very um, distrustful of big institutions celebrating themselves. Yeah. And, you know, seeing all these uh, media types and tuxes uh, uh, <laughs> clinking champagne and how awesome they are is, I don't know. It's just not for me. It's a little creepy. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk. Speaking of strange times, um, this is a strange time to be in the journalism business. Indeed. I think it's always a strange time. Let's get real. But like this one is super strange. Yeah. Um, but particularly in the Trump era, I mean, yeah. you guys have gone fully in. I don't want to say fully in, but you've you've decided that you want to be part of, of this. And a lot of some publications, particularly ones of your size, would be like, hey, this is too competitive. Explain yeah. the rationale there. I mean, it's the biggest story in the world. What the fuck are you in journalism for? <laughs> like, seriously. Like, if you're not, I mean, come on. If you're not, like. Well, the counter argument is if, you, you know, the people out talking to voters and stuff like this say that it isn't the biggest story for them. You're I mean, talking about was, Trump I, Russia. I, well, I'd, yes, Trump Russia. Like, I mean, so I'd, I I think it was like a year and a half ago, Lydia Polgrain was on and mm -hmm. she was like, you know what? No, we're just not going to, we're not going to really um, go hard into this. Well, that's Lydia's decision, and I got a different one. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, look, it's it's a humongous story. But you got to punch above your weight, right? I mean, cause... Yeah, but luckily, we've got a team of ninjas, so it works fine. <laughs> you know? Like, look, this has been a—by background, I'm a national security reporter, and so, you know, there was no way I was going to let, you know, a big— uh, cybersecurity story, a big national security story, um, a big story about a hostile foreign power, um, you know, interfering 
in our election, you know, go by. No chance, no way, no how. And luckily, we've um, always had the staff to to really make it work. So whether that's, um, you know, when we had uh, Shane Harris and Nancy Youssef, who are now the uh, top intelligence and uh, defense uh, reporters at uh, the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal, or now with our crew of Betsy Woodruff and Aaron Banco and Spencer Ackerman, who is, as you probably know, won a Pulitzer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at the Guardian. You know, we've got a we've got a great crew that's really able to tackle this stuff, and and we're going to. No, talk about how difficult this is of a story to actually report on because it's so sprawling. There's so many different aspects. So many different aspects. It's tough, right? There's the congressional aspect. There's the Southern District of New York. There's the Eastern District of New York. There's the Eastern District of Virginia, you know, and those are just the courts. Then there's, you know, what is happening at the various agencies. There's the White House pushback. It's like early Game of Thrones. It's like early Game of Thrones, (laughs) right. (laughs) Um, uh, Who does that make us? Um, No, look, it's so... It's so sprawling. You get so many tips in. You know, we have, you know, spreadsheet after spreadsheet of just like tons of different related investigation tips. And it's it it it's hard to chase them all down. It's impossible to chase them all down. And so you got to pick your spots and, you know, you got to try to become expert in in one lane or two lanes. Um, uh you know, I think hopscotching around from land to land to land, that's when you really get into trouble. And that's when, you know, you find a you find you're doing a bunch of like unconnected microscopes. How big is the newsroom? How big is the newsroom? It's in, yeah. uh, what is it? It's 50 something right now. Okay. So you're yeah. going up against like massively larger competitors. Yeah. I mean, look like Buzzfeed is what, like uh, three or four times our size. And they're sort of on the small side of our, yeah. of our bigger competitors. Um, so does that mean like, how do you end up then focusing your firepower to have the biggest impact? You know, look, I think we do a couple of things. We go after stories that really matter, right? And we go after stories we really care about. And the and we kind of like let our own noses guide us, right? Try not to do boring stuff and try not to do stories that everybody else is doing. Um, you know, I think one thing that gets lost in this like collapse of media, you know, and look, a lot of people are losing their jobs and it's terrible. And what confuses me is in the in that downturn is how many people are still just rewriting other reporting or mm-hmm. reporting on the exact same event with the exact same plan language in exactly the same way. It's mystifying to me. What value does that give the reader and, and, and what, how does that help your brand at all? So we really try to avoid all of that at all costs. Okay. With you want to be scoops driven, right? I mean, definitely. I think you've described yourselves as sort of a new style tabloid. Mm-hmm. Um, so rate your scoops from the Mueller like, what was the biggest impact scoop you think, uh, or the top three that you had from the Mueller probe? Well, listen, as a father, um, I hate to choose between my children. Um, but, <laughs> That's why I gave you three. Yeah. I don't know how many children you have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got two kids. So, <laughs> there um, you go. <laughs> yeah. So, so look, I, if you read the Mueller report, um, there are sections of it that read like a Daily Beast clip file, and I'm like incredibly proud of that. Here are some of the sections that read that way uh first off in the uh in the uh sections about uh the troll farm and, and the interference on facebook uh you know we used a combination of um digital uh driven uh journalism you know real data driven journalism uh and a, and a little bit of um kind of white hat hacking combined with um sources in the intelligence uh arena combined with just tracking down 
regular voters um, to really put together a really complete picture of um, the online election interference. And so we were the first ones to break the news that uh, the Russians used Facebook to actually organize real world rallies. Mm-hmm. That was a really big deal. Uh, and, you know, we uh, we showed how they impersonated Muslim communities and, and other groups. And, and all that was laid out in the Mueller report. And that was awesome to see. Um, so that's one area. Uh, another- and that's a substantive part of the Mueller report because there yeah, have man. been a lot of scoops that I don't want like micro scoop sort of thing. Someone had a conversation with someone um, and there have been like sort of hundreds of those kind of micro scoops. Yeah. And, you know, us among them. And I think sometimes the tricky part is it's unclear what's a micro scoop and what is yeah. the small scoop that's about to lead to something bigger. So take that. uh a Facebook event story that I was just mentioning uh, when um, Kevin Polson, who's one of the reporters on that story, first brought it to me. He was like, man, I don't know if this is something. I've only found one of them. I was like, you only found one. You found an instance of the Russians setting up a rally on U.S. soil. Hell yeah, that's big. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out that it wasn't just one. It was dozens of them. So um, sometimes the small stuff can lead to something bigger. And I think a tough thing with such a uh, sprawling a series of investigations is it's hard to know um, what's the what's you know what's mm. the beginning of something what's a breadcrumb that's just a right and what's a, a metaphorical breadcrumb <laughs> um, so some other things we're really proud of um, uh, Eric Prince the founder of Blackwater um, met with a uh, fellow named Kirill Dmitriev who is the head of Russian so- uh, Russia's sovereign wealth fund and uh, Prince said it was totally a chance encounter in the bar, in a bar in the Seychelles Islands and as one does yeah as one does <laughs> and uh, said they just talked about oil and gas for a little bit and uh, Dmitriev said you know same thing nothing to see here and we were able uh, over a series of stories to pick that apart and to show that um, Dmitriev, despite his denials, was actually an agent of the Russian government. He called Putin his boss uh, and that uh, Prince was acting very much as an agent of the Trump uh, team and had spread that information that he got from uh, the Dmitriev meeting throughout uh, the Trump uh, orbit. And uh, the Mueller report was able to confirm uh, both of those things. Um, And then the third one uh, that I'm really proud of is... um, we were able to sort of definitively show that uh, Guccifer 2.0, who was the um, uh, the self-styled loan hacker that had um, that supposedly had uh, hacked the DNC and given the um, material to WikiLeaks, uh, we were able to sort of uh, definitively show that that was a uh, creation of the Russian intelligence service, the GRU, and uh, we we reported on how that he tripped himself up and. You know, that was great to see in the Mueller report, too. So those are three. Well, I wonder about that, just to stay on the microscope, because I feel like a lot of this information did come out in yeah. pieces. Yeah. And I wonder whether or not people are truly more informed because of it, because there's just been so many of these small pieces that have come out that I don't. I mean, I thought what was interesting about the Mueller report, what I've read so far is like it really does try to tie it into like a narrative. But I wonder whether the microscope sort of did a disservice to actually informing people about what really happened. I don't know that we had a choice, right? I mean, what what were we going to do? Sit right. on those scoops? Like, not report it? Um, you know, I, I, it's an argument of daily journalism versus, you know, monthly journalism or books that's been going on from, from the beginning. I mean, you got to drip, drip it out you gotta you gotta publish what you get and and look that was true in watergate too there's a million little tiny stories you know it we talk now about these like 
in, in retrospect about you know a couple three Woodward and Bernstein hits, but you know there were reporters from across the spectrum doing a lot of different uh, breaks on Watergate, and and that's true here too. And so I mean I. It couldn't happen any other way. There are too, there's too much to report. And look, that's been one of the kind of perverse geniuses of the Trump administration is there's so many scandals to report on that they all kind of blur together and and become uh, and can become uh, kind of just a background noise. Okay. Any regrets? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of regrets. Um, I think we probably had some opinion pieces that got over their skis. Um, so I... Um, I, I, like the end is is nigh. Yeah, kind of. yeah, stuff like that, which I think everybody did. Um, and so I think it's a it's a um, it's a good lesson. And in, in even with opinion pieces, you got to keep them, mm-hmm. you know, between the four walls of what you know. And um, uh, I wouldn't say regrets, but I think we've got a mystery on our hands, uh, which is uh, we have excellent sourcing that uh, there is a whole uh, Middle Eastern component of the Mueller probe. Um, that seems um, largely absent from from the report, and so the question is: Has that been farmed out to other uh, yeah uh, 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 to other prosecutors? Did that stop cold? Did it go nowhere? But we well, had what good- was his mandate? Because I mean, it seems like Mueller was very um, circumscribed in just sticking directly to whatever the mandate is, and then farming out all the stuff that you know you come across in these kind of probes right uh, the most famous example being michael cohen yeah. and the and the uh and the stormy daniel stuff right so it's possible he was far- he wound up farming the stuff out um uh at the end of the Mueller report it says that he um uh referred 14 um uh criminal uh uh, investigations to different districts, two of which we know about, and twelve of which we do not. Mm-hmm. And so, it's entirely possible that they're in the two, uh, in the twelve we don't know about. So it's still early, I think, with the if the fallout of 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 the Mueller report. But at this point, do you think the media sort of comes out and journalism comes out ahead or behind? Like, I mean, it's it's hard to sort of rate how uh, the reporting. Uh, got done. Obviously, it's it's a partisan football. Um, to me, the, this is like a this is easy, right? You read the Mueller report, and you know, in some ways, it didn't land as hard as it did as it could have because so much of it had been previously reported in the New York Times and the Washington Post from us and from BuzzFeed. Yeah, yeah. The ironic part is it it helped Trump, right? I mean, not not, not the Mueller report. The reporting actually helped, probably helped Trump in the sort of court of public opinion, or more importantly, the political. Um, sphere because a lot of people said, "Oh, well, we kind of knew this." Well, I don't know. I mean, what's more painful, like the drip, 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 or the or or the water all at once? I'm I'm not sure. Um, but I mean, in terms of like media being, you know, coming out well, or mm-hmm. or you know, look, the reporters that worked on this, by and large, came out looking great. There's a couple outfits that that it looks like came out not so great there's a couple outfits that um probably overinterpreted the information they had um but on the whole as a as a cohort i think that the reporters that that covered uh this storyline came mm-hmm. out really well this is a difficult period to be a particularly a, a political journalist do you think uh journalism has become too oppositional do i think well, journalists have become too oppositional to trump um no <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, if anything, there. Um, this is the stage of opposition that journalism should be in. In general, we should be an oppositional, cantankerous pain in the ass. 
and you know getting cozy or even playing it you know kind of bland with any uh with any administration is a, is a mistake and that's why you know when at the daily beast we we kick the obama administration's ass as often as we could mm-hmm. and, and we're doing the same thing with trump but i'm mean, i'm sure trump supporters see you guys as part of the the resistance right i mean they can see whatever they want like <laughs> it, i'm just saying from our point of view like we're going to be super oppositional to whoever's in power especially when uh those people uh give us um ample reason to oppose them. Mm-hmm. So how does that play into the identity that you want to establish with the, the Daily Beast? Obviously, scrappy, um, you know, punching above your weight, more of a tabloid um, feel, not bland. Like, I mean, yeah. the interesting thing, I think, and maybe that's a business model thing that we'll get into, is that there is a lot of blandness now in digital media, it yeah. seems. Yeah, there really is. It's It's mystifying to me. I don't understand what they're doing. <laughs> so what do you want what do you how do you want the daily beast to stand out in this uh sea of blandness yeah look i think you know we're the kind of place that isn't afraid to take a side isn't afraid isn't afraid to throw a punch isn't afraid to stand up for the little guy and isn't afraid to have fun and i think you know that's to me like old school scrappy street smart um worldly tabloid and i i you know that's the only kind of journalism uh i think uh i know how to do and it's the only and it's a kind of journalism that i think really works well in this age right how concerned are you about the business model underpinning allowing that journalism to be possible considering the drumbeat of bad news that we've had yeah uh brian i I, i've got some breaking news for you um (laughs) media is tough these days there are easier ways to make a lot of there are a lot easier (laughs) ways to make money um look i come from being a musician so you know if you think you've chosen all the really difficult ways to make money yeah Uh, you should have seen my grandmother's face when (laughs) i told her that uh to supplement my uh my bass playing career i was going to start freelance writing um look no it uh, it's tough. Uh, I think the only way it makes sense is you gotta you gotta place a lot of bets. You know, you gotta do a lot of th- different things. Uh, you can't just rely on advertising alone. That's not that's yeah. obviously not going to work uh, in the long term. Um, but it's what do you g- think about the recent Vogue? I mean, it's not a recent Vogue, but it sort of has, has come back of billionaires. You know, this this being pet projects of billionaires, not really for profit enterprises. Yeah. Well, I mean, once again, the Daily Beast scoops everybody because you know our billionaire was ahead of those other billionaires. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you're billionaire wants to make money yeah he does barry diller is as not far getting, as I know. barry diller is not getting around <laughs> about making money he's made that pretty clear um but he's also made it uh, pretty clear going back to your earlier point that like the only thing the daily beast cannot be under any circumstances is boring okay right like that would we ought not to do that that is the that is definitely uh, a huge mistake if you're dealing with Barry Diller is to be boring. And, you know, when I talk to him, and we, we talk pretty regularly, you know, he's always wanting us to push harder, push faster, be more differentiated in the marketplace and, um, and you know, more in bigger scoops. Mm-hmm. I just mean the risk of having, you know, Jeff Bezos, now everyone wants uh, Lauren Powell Jobs money, yeah. um, of having these billionaire bar- barons controlling a lot of... Of media, yeah, it's a, it, it is a risk, um, uh, particularly because these guys, like most humans, don't want to piss off their friends, and 
you know, a good journalism shop should be basically in the business of pissing off their friends. Right. It's really, it is really tricky. Um, uh, that said, sometimes an extra capital infusion is really necessary. Yeah. Right. And sometimes it's not, um, it's the kind of capital conf- infusion that um, like a VC wouldn't have done uh, typically. And that's why I thought, you know, like the Graham family did a really smart thing selling to Bezos. Bezos put a lot of new money in, put a lot of energy yeah. in, and now the place is, is making money again and they look great. Yeah, it's one of those things where the, there's no real good solution. It's just figuring out which. I mean, because obviously the uh, operating a journalism company as just purely po- f- uh, for-profit has a lot of downsides yeah. these days. Um, going to a billionaire has its downsides. Being a nonprofit, clearly with the the issues around the markup and uh, to correspond on and all sorts of different places yeah. seems like it has its downsides. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's going to get figured out eventually. I mean, I'm very, um, you know, like everybody, you know, this, this particular micro moment is like uh, one to, to, you know, really take super seriously. But in the long run, I'm, you know, I'm very bullish on, on journalism. So you guys have a membership model now, yeah. not, not a paywall. Not yeah, a meter. Yeah. Okay. Explain um, the membership model. Um, we're like what, like a, almost a year into it? Uh, yeah, I think nine months. Nine months. Um, yeah. So basically, what we're doing is we are giving our members um, early and exclusive access to to lots of our best material, and so uh, that goes across uh, a range of different products. So, for example. Um, uh, on the Mueller and other investigations, uh, we've got this product called Rabbit Hole, which is like go super duper duper deep on these investigations, and uh, we do that just for members. And so that's both on the site and in a newsletter. Uh, we've got a great uh, money and politics uh, newsletter and on site uh, called Pay Dirt uh, that um, is basically must read D- uh, reading in DC now, and that's for members uh, only. Um, on the whole other end of the spectrum, um, amazingly, uh, we have found that our readers and our members are totally obsessed with the royal family. Okay. And uh, so we have started doing uh, members-only uh, material uh, just for uh, on Meghan Markle and Will and Kate and that whole crowd. And... Um, People love it, like love, love, love it. So, um, you know, we're doing members-only products uh, um, you know, across this range of what we do. Then in addition, uh, we offer uh, early access to uh, a bunch of stories uh, to members too. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it, it's a diff- there's a lot of different flavors of these models, but I mean, you want to keep most, almost all of your content openly available. And as a journalist, you want to have the most impact. So explain those discussions that took place with the business realities of these days in digital media. Advertising alone is not going to cut it. Yeah, with- look, I I think you'll see. Let's just be real here. Okay. The membership business is new for us. It's new for almost everybody. It's new. And there's going to be a lot of um, tinkering and a lot of figuring out what works and what doesn't work. Pardon me. And what works for a member's audience. And what works for an open audience. And so, yeah, we're trying to, fi- I mean, mm. we are very much in process of that. Um, but you want to keep most of the content freely available. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, there are going to be times, I'm sure there are going to be times in the future where um, you're going you're gonna to see a Daily Beast scoop and you're going to really want to read it. And yeah, it'll be. Well, that's the, that's the hardest part of operating these member models is you're creating a lot of stuff 
I don't want to say it's n- not as good, but it's 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 not your core product. Mm-hmm. And getting people to pay for the stuff that isn't your core product necessarily, you're going to get fewer people to pay. I would guess. I mean, the be- the thing that you're best at are, are scoops. Yeah, but you want to know something? Actually, we've been um, we've been surprised along the way about what people are willing to pay for. Not Meghan Markle. So, for example, like we did this reader <laughs> survey, okay, um, and. Uh, Nobody's going to tell you in a survey that they'll they're willing to pay for Mega Markle, yeah, but, but they will. Did, not only did nobody, it was like <laughs> we gave a list of like twenty five different things or whatever of of topics. Topic number one was climate change, healthcare, climate yeah. change, yeah, and sure. like beneath <laughs> zero. You know, like do not under any circumstances give us any Royals coverage, and yet um, that's really converted. And look, so we're we're figuring it out. Um, this month of April, I think we're up three x from january on daily signups and january is up a lot from where we started so i mean we are depends on the basis i tell our reporters what's that well when our reporters come and say someone's up like three times well if it's a small base yeah of course it's a small base we just got started but it's like it's for (laughs) real and you know we feel really good that like the mix of product improvements which i've found is a lot of the game as i've learned yeah and you know what we're going to offer editorially um, is a big yeah. deal too. Political it's, opinion has been a huge driver of subscriptions too, yeah. not just for us, but now talking to my counterparts at other places, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge deal too. And so, you know, we are slowly trying to figure it out. And we're, you know, I know you've got you guys at Digiday wrestle mm-hmm. with this too about how do you how do you lock up and what do you mm-hmm. lock up and and you know those are the kind of decisions we have uh, literally every day on a tactical level, and we're having broadly on a strategic level too. How does that change your job as an editor in chief? I mean it's it's a it's a more varied job a little bit now than just not quote unquote just running a newsroom. Yeah. Yeah. Um it definitely it took it from three D chess to I don't know, four D chess. Is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's but it's cool. I like it. I like it. And you know, look, I've been um, but like what specific sort of changes? I mean you're you're talking about like product tinkering and stuff like this that that make a difference when it comes to membership models. Yeah, I mean, there's some of that, but I guess the stuff I like is I look, I've been messing around on the internet since about the time the graphic World Wide Web came out. Okay. You know, and so I I think it's cool to to figure out new business models and to try to figure out what people are really invested in or what people what people just happen to click on a you know on a google link and mm-hmm. are like oh that's interesting go back to the next thing like you know i'm i'm like uh, i'm really jazzed about that stuff and so it's cool to see okay like n- let's not just get the stories that are going to bring in the maximum number of readers but let's like take a look at the stories that are going to are also going to bring in like these super loyal mm-hmm. cadres or take people that were already loyal Okay, and bring them down to the you know sort of bottom of the metaphorical funnel and and get them to subscribe. So how does that feed back into how you operate the newsroom and getting everyone pointed in the same direction? Um, because it, it isn't just about getting the the maximum number of views or um, yeah. So look, we aren't you know we have not been playing the traffic maximization game for a long time, right? We get a we get a healthy amount of traffic, and you know. Um, we you know, we love the traffic we get, and we always want more. But I mean, we've always been for, focused on like getting a m- more like loyal, uh, consistent, engaged audience, and so this is just kind of part of that. And um, and you know, most of our 
we don't really have too many like traffic whores on staff. You know, that's just not their, <laughs> that's not their thing, right? What their thing is like getting great stories. And um, ultimately, like we think that's going to translate into, into membership. And so there's, has there been a newsroom education um, process that's going on? Definitely. Um, are people more jazzed about this over time? Yes. Um, it's an easier sell now, I would think. Yeah, well, just look at the marketplace. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so, you know, um, so we just hired our first um, uh, reporter who is going to be dedicated, or is going to have part of her time dedicated from the jump to serving members. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's a new 2020 uh, campaign reporter named Hannah Trudeau who uh, comes from uh, from National Journal. She's been covering, get, get a load of this, she has been covering the 2020 cycle since I think 2017. Okay. I thought you were going to be like since like 2003. 20, <laughs> <laughs> since Trump first said that he might run she, for president. Okay, fine. She literally <laughs> invented a time machine. <laughs> Still, it's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, and so we think that she's going to be able to offer like a level of insight that that people are going to want to pay for. Uh, so the beast did not pivot to video. No. You glad? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm glad. Look, um, uh, but that's like the advantage of being sort of lean and mean is that you don't have um, I guess you don't have the luxury to, to do things like that a little bit. No, I mean, look, I think smaller shops bet on and just bet wrong. Um we just didn't think it was a good bet. Um, you know, maybe it's just because uh, my uh, father and stepmother were in uh, broadcast news. And so um, I knew how, like, hard and how expensive it is to produce, like, truly great broadcast journalism. And I saw the crap people were putting up just to, like, pocket a couple of, um, uh, a couple of bucks from Facebook. And it just seemed like a terrible idea. Okay. Um, so what are the big bets then for rest of the year? Memberships, obviously. Yeah, are. memberships definitely won. Um, I think <laughs> it's funny. I may be more bullish on our commerce business than Heather Dietrich, our, our publisher. Is. Oh, okay. Yeah, I really, I think our commerce business is cool, man. And and I think there's a lot more we can do with it. Um, so I think we do those two things. And that's creating like posts of like the best whatever to buy. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and good deals and, 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 and things we think are cool that, that our readers might think are cool too and you know that's generating like real money now and um i think it's working because you know it's not some you know it's not some sky mall schlock that we're pushing <laughs> we're pushing like stuff we actually think is cool and i think there's more we can do with it um so i'm um, i'm i'm really bullish on on both of those things um you know the advertising market is tough but yet we we seem to be you know making our way in it and so uh, uh, the figure I have here is that we were up 77% in direct ad sales uh, year over year, which seems like a good number to me. I, yeah. I like that number. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm bullish about the whole thing, man. Okay. It's hard. Look, it's hard. No, no joke. Making it's hard. money is, is hard across the board, but it's yeah, harder, it, harder in media. Yeah. You know, no one is na naive about those challenges, but you know, I think we got to, I think we got a cool product and, and, um, you know, if I were an advertiser, you know, I'd want to be with us. Mm -hmm. You know, if I would, I'd not want to subscribe to us and I'd want to buy stuff from us. So we're going to work it. So where does the, uh, the Mueller story go next? Well, um, I think there's the post Mueller story. Let's say there's probably three things, right? Uh, number one is 
Mueller's probably going to go before Congress. That's going to be humongous. Uh, number two is Congress itself is going to be doing a whole lot of investigating. Um, and so I think there'll be a lot of uh, political theater around that and a lot of substantive work around that. And then um, number three is, uh, you know, those criminal referrals that that I mentioned before. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see where those go. And, and I think that there's going to be a lot of news that's generated off of that. And then I'm sorry, number four, which is really the biggest one, is like, what's going to happen in 2020? Like, do is this going to fade into just background music to a presidential can- campaign? Uh, I don't know about that, but what I was going to say is like, you think like some foreign power is going to take a holiday on this, uh, on this election after how well things went in 2016? Hell no. And so it is, I, I think this kind of interference, look, we'll see, but I mean, it's a really, um, it's got to be promising. It's got to be really juicy for a lot of, um, for a lot of foreign powers. And so it, it's hard to imagine they won't play. Okay. And that's a great story. It is. Yeah. A lot to write about. Okay, Noah, thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. I want to give a shout out this week to Brian Camella, who uh, said, I've been, he actually wrote me on LinkedIn. He said, I've begun listening to your Digiday podcast while running in the mornings, and I especially enjoyed the one with Hearst, Mike Smith. That was actually a very popular uh, episode. And thank you, Brian. I hope you're running as you're listening to this. Um, And... For all of you, please do send me feedback. I am Brian at Digiday.com or tweet at me. I am at BMRC. Um, and please do, we, I always ask people to leave us a review on, on iTunes or wherever you get this podcast um, and rate us uh, because that helps people find this. Um, thank you for listening. <laughs>